0: Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me on Instagram at my Peace Corps story, on Facebook by searching for my Peace Corps story, and as always, over at myPeaceCoreStory.com. com. If you've been listening to the podcast and enjoying it, or even not enjoying it, uh, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of reviews, this one doesn't come from Apple Podcasts, or is it about the podcast, but it is about my book, service disrupted uh, available on amazon but this review is over on goodreads.com from kara english who rated it as four stars she doesn't leave any description but just the rating of four stars and that is more than enough thank you for reading it thank you for reviewing it and i appreciate all the reviews even the reviews that are the one and two star reviews I just like to hear what people think about uh, the work that I'm producing. So thank you very much for taking the time to leave a review. On this episode of the podcast, I talk with Tasha Prados, who is about to embark on a digital nomad career, but she got her start in the Peace Corps in Peru. She talks about that and much more. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. So, without further ado, this is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story
1: story story. My name is Tasha Prados. Uh, I did Peace Corps in Peru from 2011 to 2013 as a water and sanitation volunteer, and this is my Peace Corps story.
0: Hey, Tasha, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Tyler?
0: Doing well. Excited to talk to you because we connected two months ago three months ago yeah months ago (laughs) uh, over a project that you started an instagram account featuring peace corps volunteers and the their service and stuff that they were doing and i'm in the same space uh so we got together because we're both in washington dc talked a little bit about our projects and ways we could work together but now i'm excited to hear about your peace corps service
1: yeah, totally. Um, it was really awesome meeting up with you and seeing everything that you've been doing, your book and the podcast, and all the different cool side projects you have going. Um, and I've really enjoyed starting people of Peace Corps. It's been just a really positive way to showcase the impact that Peace Corps has over the course of people's whole lives. Um, it really shapes people's careers, their communities, you know, who they marry, um, who's in their circle the jobs that they end up in. And so it's been really cool talking to some of the people and seeing how, as they reflect on their life, Peace Corps contributed to where they are now.
0: Mm -hmm. And let's start back from the very beginning. Before you even applied to the Peace Corps, how did Peace Corps get on your radar? Was this something that you knew from elementary school? Yes, I've had people that learned about Peace Corps in elementary school and they wanted to do it forever. And then a lot of people who didn't know what they wanted to do after undergrad and they were searching for <laughs> something, where do you fall on that spectrum? Great
1: question. Um, so I had heard of Peace Corps and I was actually decidedly not going to apply to Peace Corps oh. because I had very strong feelings about um, international development. That was the career that I wanted to go into, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because I work in marketing now. But I had done. Um, I started out in international development, working with a nonprofit organization in El Salvador for four summers, called International Partners, uh, building schools and water systems there. And through through that experience, I um, really saw how how international development can- isn't necessarily always sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was worried that Peace Corps was a bit of a um, colonialist type of Organization. And then the more I learned about it, I realized that that wasn't true. Um, and I actually felt like, and in my experience, Peace Corps is actually a really good model of sustainable international development. Um, so my senior year of college, actually, one of my good friends told me she was going to apply to Peace Corps, which I never would have expected. And through talking to her and through learning more about it, I decided that I wanted to apply, um, and I still remember I had a great recruiter. I was at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, um, and this was back when you couldn't choose where you went. You couldn't choose Mm -hmm. what country or what program, but I told her I really want to be a water and sanitation volunteer. I've built water systems in El Salvador. I'm really passionate about this. I think clean water is really important, and I was like, the only thing I don't want to do is teach English, And she was like, well, that's a red flag. We want people who want to do whatever we want them to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, oh, okay. Well, okay, I guess like maybe I would consider that. Um, But very luckily, she recommended me for the water and sanitation program in Peru. um, And that's the program that I was in. Um, I was one of four women out of 17 people in the program. So a little bit unusual for Peace Mm -hmm. Corps where uh, it's traditionally more women in a lot of the positions. Um, And I remember I was really intimidated going into it um, because a lot of my peers were engineers or architects. um, And I was like, I can mix cement the Latin American way (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) with shovels by hand. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was great. And um, I had a really good experience.
0: Okay. And When you got your placement, were you excited to be going to a Spanish-speaking country? I take it you spoke Spanish before Peace Corps?
1: Yes, that is a correct assumption. Uh, I'm multicultural. I'm on uh, one side Austrian and on the other side Puerto Rican and a little bit of Irish and Polish. Um, And I grew up uh, speaking Spanish a little bit at home and then also in an immersion program for elementary school. Um, and then I was in public high school magnet programs for middle school and college, so I was one of a few non-white students in a gifted and talented program for both middle school and high school. Um, and as time went on, I really wanted to connect with my Latina roots, which I did in the nerdiest way possible. <laughs> a good friend of mine and I started a Spanish-speaking online newspaper uh, at our high school, and I joined, like, the soccer team because there was a <laughs> lot of Latinos. Well, sorry, the soccer c- class. And there was a lot of Latinos in the soccer class. Um, and, you know, when I went to college, I became really involved in, like, the Carolina Hispanic Association and mentoring Latinos through a, a, an organization that's now called Latinx Ed. Um, they're actually a client that I work with for, for my business. Um, and But actually, <laughs> through all of that process, Um, I studied abroad in Spain and while I was there, I went to Morocco and that really kind of opened my eyes to the rest of the world. And I was like, wow, like the world is much bigger than just Latin America. And I started taking Arabic. I started taking Muslim civilization classes, um, took Arabic 101, my senior year of college. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to go to an Arabic speaking country, um, which there are a few of in the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this was at the time where you couldn't choose where you were going um and so I ended up in Peru and that I mean of course like I I think you know things happen for a reason and I think that um I had an amazing experience in Peru. I'm really close with my host family still. I I love Peru. I'm very very close with Peru. I feel connected to the the culture and the country because of my peace corps service. Um, it would have been cool to get fluent in Arabic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, who knows? There's still time, maybe someday.
0: Yeah. So you were in Peru as a water and sanitation volunteer, but what does that actually mean? You talked about digging wells, mixing cement, but it can be anything and everything. Oftentimes volunteers get put in these positions with titles and then they end up doing stuff completely different. What were you actually doing?
1: Definitely. Uh, Good question. And just to clarify, I never dug a well. Um, (laughs) But so I was in uh, a small town slash district of about 3000 people on the Pan American Highway in the desert of Peru. Uh, we had gravity-fed water systems there. And as a water and sanitation volunteer, um, well, first I did a needs assessment of the of the whole area um, and kind of got to know the local community and what their needs and resources and desires were and sort of moseyed my way along to figure out what projects might be a good fit, like what would be helpful for the town that people had interest in doing and in collaborating on. Uh, and I was very lucky to have some really, I think very effective and successful projects. Uh, A few of them were left over by the volunteer who was there previously before me. He had had to um, medically separate. um, And so he had left a a potable water project. Mm -hmm. Um, So the funds for that were transferred to me and I completed the project. So we helped increase potable water capacity in the town um, for 3000 people. And then in addition to that, uh, I did an improved cook stove project that he had left over. Uh, so for people cooking on open fires, all that smoke, uh, it's like basically cooking on a campfire inside your house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of carbon monoxide. Um, it's not great for fuel either. And it's also not great for your lungs and your respiratory health, especially for young children. Um, so we had an in- improved cook stove project where we built sort of just a way with, with local materials to enclose the fire and make it about 50% more fuel efficient and also dramatically improve respiratory health. Um, so I did a project with that, completing his projects, and then I that was kind of a good kickstart, <laughs> and I really um, started doing a lot of my own projects. Um, I found one small annex um, with about 12 families called Los Molinos, which was five kilometers from my site, and I... Really liked working with that community because, you know, they were really under resourced and just marginalized population. And then they also were a very unified community. The community president was, um, had a lot of, as we would say in Spanish, ganas, uh, desire and interest in, in getting things done. And he was a really good community counterpart. Um, so we kind of worked together to design an integrated household sanitation project. Um, we got materials to rebuild their water reservoir. We, got, we worked with the municipality to get um, a decent amount of money to create a sewage system for them. They didn't have bathrooms. They were just going to the bathroom in the field outside. Um, and so that was the first time that they ever had a sewage system. Uh, and the volunteer who came after me um, built bathrooms to accompany the sewage system that are now being used. Um, we also did uh, improved cook stoves, and they luckily in that community had a guy who um I guess is like a mason you would call him maybe mm-hmm. in English. Um, and so I taught him how to build the stoves, and that way, I figure after I left, he could help repair any of the stoves or build new ones um, because you know these stoves are made out of like adobe and brick and sand and mud, and so they have a limited shelf life. Yeah. Um, and I figured after I left, he would be able to repair them and keep them going. Um, and then I also did a lot of sanitation and hygiene education with them just talking about the importance of hand-washing and how kind of sickness is transmitted and how to avoid that by having clean water boiling and chlorinating your water or disinfecting it with the sun Um, because the water in Peru doesn't come out of the tap drinkable like it is here in the U.S. You have to treat it in most places, actually I'm sure everywhere, (laughs) including in Lima, uh, to be able to drink it safely and make sure there's no viruses or bacteria or parasites that are going to make you sick. Um, So just doing a lot of education around that. And then I had a lot of other projects as well. I worked with local nursing students on an HIV AIDS education project. Um, And that was really cool because then they I taught the nursing students and then they taught the local high school students. So we actually reached the entire community and we even did a radio show. Uh, We also had a radio show (laughs) Uh, in the me and a couple other volunteers in a nearby province. So that reached even more people, uh, several thousand people um, talking about how to prevent HIV and AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases um, just because the sex ed there is not really a thing. So a lot of people don't know about, you know, why you need to use condoms or how to prevent pregnancy and stuff like that. Um and I another fun part of that project is I worked with a local friend who was a painter and we made a mural at the local high school. Um and see if I can remember what it said. <laughs> it was in English. It was basically uh enjoy your adolescence with responsibility. And there was like an image of a pregnant woman um and her presumably boyfriend or husband or whatever um with a blackboard and some books that she was carrying that were very heavy. Um, and they had titles like, you know, raising a baby and like all this other stuff. Um, and then the responsibility at the bottom, the I was like a condom. <laughs> uh, so just trying to trying to uh, instill the idea of how pregnancy and STDs can be transmitted, how to prevent it, um, because that kind of education isn't there. Um, and that was really rewarding. I did a, a, like a survey before and after and, and really got to know the girls and talked to them a lot and It was partly sad because some of them told me, you know, I had never heard anything about this. And then after I learned about it, you know, I talked to my boyfriend about it and he wasn't receptive. He like wasn't willing to wear a condom. And so they broke up. Um, but I felt at least good that they had the knowledge and like felt empowered to like have those conversations. Um, A few other projects I did, uh, some English teaching at the local school, some vocational orientation, um, just kind of teaching kids about like what possible careers they could have, um, and how to, to find careers that, you know, would help them support their families. Um, yeah. So a lot of different things, planted some trees as well. Um, I actually just went back to my site and it was really cool to see the trees that we had planted are like taller than me now and like bearing fruit, so that was like a really cool physical thing to see. So a lot of different things.
0: A lot of different things and anybody who's listening who has not been a Peace Corps volunteer or maybe early on in their Peace Corps service, their head is probably spinning of how in the <laughs> hell did you do all of that in 2 <laughs> years? But those of us who have served know that you do you do a lot of varied projects and there's still a lot of downtime, even with that long list of projects, still a ton of downtime. How did you spend yours?
1: Oh, good question. Um, well, this was before I actually just went back to my site and there's Wi-Fi now, but I didn't have Wi-Fi in my site before. Whoa! Um, so there was a lot of hanging out, you know, hanging out in the kitchen with my host mom and my family, um, watching and helping them cook. Um Like I said, I was just back in my sight and one of my friends was asking me, like, what did you do all day? And I'm like, I don't really know. I was just kind of hanging out in the kitchen with the family, like talking and being around. And um, it's a much more present way of living, um, which was really nice. And I did a lot of reading. Um, I did a lot of exercise. Oh, I that was another project that I did, too. I had exercise (laughs) classes at the local health post um, and at the local stadium, almost mostly with women, which was really cool. Um, I I ran a lot in my site, um, which is very unusual for people to do in general where I live. Like no one really goes running or if they do, they mostly just do it in like the one stadium. Um, so it was really unusual to see anyone running, let alone a woman, let alone a foreign woman. <laughs> uh, and sometimes the dogs would chase me and you'd have to like pick up a rock and like threaten the dog with the rock because dogs there are very different than dogs here. Um, but that was a really, really cool. Cause I think it got a lot of women and people in general, Uh, more aware of like some of the benefits of physical activity and Mm -hmm. especially the women like feeling more confident about the fact that they like could exercise um, or that that was something that they might be interested in. Many of them had never had like the opportunity to, to think about that. Um, Volleyball is pretty common for women. um, And then soccer is pretty common. And like, I think more and more women in my site are playing soccer now. Um, But when I was there, you know, in 2011, that wasn't really the case. Um, And I taught them like some boxing and like I do some yoga, like different things on different days. Um, I remember there was one obese girl who would come and she said to me one day, she's like, oh my God, my heart is pounding so fast. Like, I'm so scared. I'm like, it's okay. Like it's normal when you exercise, like your heart beats faster. Um, But she had literally never exercised before. So she had never experienced that before. And she was really scared. Um, but then she kept coming back and and she seemed to really enjoy it. So that was like really rewarding. Um, and then I'd also talk to other volunteers. Sometimes I'd go to um, – the local provincial capital and Skype with my friends back home. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking to somebody today about how sometimes back then it was really hard to like Skype somebody like you'd be trying for like half an hour for like to make the Skype call work because the internet wasn't very good. <laughs> um, but I was lucky to have patient friends who hung, hung in there with me and we were able to, to connect every once in a while. Um, sometimes I would cook for my host family, um, we didn't have an oven, but sometimes we'd borrow one or, or find a way to like bake something. Um, and that was always fun. I was just back and they were, they were asking again about like, oh, you should make those like green noodles. You made that one time. And I was like, oh yeah, like I had made them homemade pesto, (laughs) um, which like we had to go to like the regional capital to like get basil and the right ingredients and like all this stuff. Um, but that, that was cool that they liked it and that they still remembered that, um, I also introduced salad to the house as like a more regular thing. Uh, And it was cool to see that they still, still eat that. Um, That was cool. And yeah, just a lot of different, different things. Um, Yeah.
0: And because this is the, my Peace Corps story podcast, we've got a lot of varied experiences, high surface level things from your service. Do you have a favorite story? And I know sometimes it's very hard to pick one, so if you need to pick maybe two, maybe three, it's okay, but let's aim for one. One just really enjoyable story from your Peace Corps time.
1: Sure. Uh, I have one that comes to mind, I think, because it illustrates both what we say about service, like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So this mm-hmm. was a, a story that encapsulates both of those um is a work related project i had i told you i did this improved cook stove project and one of the improved cook stoves that i built was at a local comedor popular which means like popular eatery and it's like a group of women who get together to like all cook lunch together Um, and they do that for both economic and time-saving reasons. Um, so it rotates who cooks and they cook a huge lunch for everybody and everybody comes and takes lunch. And that way everybody gets lunch, everybody contributes and you take turns cooking. So you don't have to cook every day. Um, cooking in Peru, like everything is from scratch and it takes a really long time. Um, so that's like a kind of nice way for them Mm -hmm. to work together and save money and save time. Um, and I had two really good friends at that, uh, Comedor Popular. And um, that was one of the improved cookstoves that we built. So I did sanitation education, hygiene and sanitation education with them. So we did a bunch of classes about like recycling and solid waste and uh, water and sanitation education about hand washing and stuff like that. And I really got to know these women and and be friends with them. And I told them about the improved cookstoves. And I was like, this would be a really cool way for you guys instead of cooking on this open fire you know you could save some money because you'd save firewood and then it would also be better for your respiratory health Um, and they were like yeah like we hate cooking on the open fire like it's so hot and like it really makes our stomach like ache they would say Um, so this seems like a really good idea so they contributed some some materials and and I got a grant to get some materials as well and then they were going to all come. And we had this beautiful Sunday. Like it was like one of the best days of my whole Peace Corps service. Like everyone who was involved with the comedor came and helped build these two cookstoves. And we had, you know, men and women and children, everybody's working together and like carrying buckets of water and mixing mud and putting in the ash and the, the paja, which is like sawdust and like mixing all the materials together. And it was just, like, such a beautiful day. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best day ever. Like, I can't believe it. Like, we built these two cookstoves. And, like, they're so great. And, like, it's awesome. And it was just such a great day. And then the next day, I went to the comedor at lunchtime to see how the cookstoves were doing. And I showed up. And there were the two beautiful cookstoves. And next to them on the floor was a fire. And they were cooking lunch on the fire, like they had always been doing. And I was like, oh no, like what happened? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was so sad. And then I talked to them and I was like, so, you know, like trying to be casual about it. Like what happened with the cook stoves? And they're like, we couldn't get them to light. And I was like, what? And I had this Gut dropping feeling like, oh my God. Like, I convinced these women to invest their time, their money, but more than that, their trust in me. And I had told them that these cook stoves were going to work. They were going to make their lives better. They had spent so many hours like listening to my charlas, as we would say, like talks about, you know, hand washing and stuff like that. And they had spent their time and their money like building these cook stoves and now they didn't work. I was, like, so devastated and upset, and I didn't know what to do. I, like, almost cried, but I just hung out with them for a little while while they cooked. And and they were so casual about it. They were like, oh, don't worry. They were, like, comforting me, and I felt horrible. Um, so after I left, I called one of my friends who had built the cook stoves, and I was like, dude, like, what do I do? And he was like, you know – Give it a couple of days. Like maybe they just need to dry because you make them with mud, adobe, mm-hmm. and obviously water and fire don't go together well. Uh, it's harder for fires to start when things are wet. Yes. <laughs> so I, re- I was like,
0: recently learned that on a camping trip.
1: <laughs> for sure. Um, so I was like, okay. Like, and those were the longest few days of my life. Every day I would go to the comedor and I would be like, hey, are the cook stoves working? And they'd be like, no, we couldn't light them. I went back every day for four days. And then on the fourth day, we were able to light them. (laughs) And they've been using them ever since. Um, And eight years later, they are still using them, which is pretty crazy. Um, I didn't even think that they would last that long. Um, But that kind of just illustrates like some of the feelings that, that go into it. And there's so much... You build up these relationships with people, and you're getting them to trust you. And then, oh man, it was it was a roller coaster ride.
0: Mm-hmm. And it definitely sounds like you had an overall excellent experience. You recently went back there, uh, so you liked it enough. You had enough connections with with friends and family there that you wanted to return. But were there ever times where you really struggled with your service that you were second guessing yourself? You you did speak about the low of the cook stove not working, but something much harder than that.
1: 100%. Um, I think, you know, oh man, there were times that were so hard. (laughs) Uh, Peace Corps is really hard. And whenever someone asks me, you know, how was your Peace Corps service? My two second explanation is always, it was really good. It was really hard, but I'm really glad that I did it. Um, And that is true. It was very challenging. Um, And I definitely went into it, I think, a little overconfident. I was like, oh, I'm Latina. I've like, quote unquote, done development work in Latin America before, which like, I don't think that, um, you know, working for a couple summers necessarily counts. Um, And I was like, I speak Spanish, like I understand the culture, like, this is going to be so like, not a problem. Um, And I think, being in Peru definitely made me realize how American I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I really value efficiency and productivity, and that definitely clashes a lot with the culture of Peru. Um, I I think a lot of us, when we got to our sites, everybody has kind of a little bit of an identity crisis because you know so much of your value and self worth is tied up in you know what am I accomplishing, what am I getting done, what am I doing for work, and you get to site and you don't have any work to do. You don't have a job to show up to every day. Um, and you have to kind of go out and build those relationships and and figure it out for yourself, which can take quite a while. Um, and it can be really hard depending on where you are. Um, and, and you're like, have all this free time. You're like, what do I do with myself? Like, I'm not even doing anything. Like, why am I even here? Um, and then over time, you know, you just kind of adjust and like, I remember when I got back to the States and I had to work like a normal job here, like a nine to five Mm -hmm. job, I was like, my God, like, when am I going to like hang out and like read and like, you know, have a siesta? Like, this is crazy. Like, why are we all working so much?
0: Um, We need nap times. (laughs)
1: We need nap times. Um, so definitely an adjustment, and and I'd be lying. I mean, there if I said it wasn't really hard at times, like it was so hard at times. And not just that, I mean, I definitely struggled with machismo as well a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I think it's it's really interesting being a foreign woman in Latin America slash anywhere. I mean, you get kind of this third gender where you know you you get to kind of break outside the norms for what a local woman would be expected to do. Um, but it's it's still really different and people react to you very differently. Um, so I had a lot of challenges with that. I got catcalled a lot, not so much in my sight, uh, but more when I went to bigger cities and towns. And that was really challenging. Um, one positive experience with that, I remember one day I was running in my site and um, on a dirt road, you know, and a pickup truck was going by. And they like cat called me and then they kind of pulled over, which like in retrospect, probably not smart to go up to the pickup truck, right? Mm, yeah. Not a smart move, but that's what I did. I was mad and I went right up to the driver's side and I just started yelling at him in Spanish. I was like, you know, what kind of lack of respect is this? Like that is not okay at all. And to my surprise and, you know, very luckily again, in retrospect, he was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, And he starts to get out of the truck, which like, again, like, Uh Probably not a great sign. (laughs) Uh, But it all turned out okay. He went to the back of the truck and he picked up a watermelon and he was like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like here, take this watermelon. And I was like, well, thank you, but I'm running right now so I can't carry this watermelon. But thank you for your apology. And then I just ran home. Uh, So it wasn't all bad, but most catcalling experience did not end that way. Um, One time I... Uh, I got so frustrated with it. I started spitting on the ground whenever someone would catcall me. Not a smart move. Um, Did not work out well. Really just made things worse. So do not recommend that tactic. Um, And I tried to, you know, have conversations with people. Um, You know, I think I had a lot of interesting conversations with people while I was there. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people had never met anyone like me or, um, and even when I was just there back in my site, I was talking to my host sister's husband and he was like, we went for a hike together above my host dad's gold mine. And he was like, yeah, I really love hiking. Like I'm always trying to get Carmen, my host sister to like come hiking with me. And like, she just doesn't want to. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you have to understand, like she, she grew up in this culture where like that sort of thing wasn't expected or encouraged of her. She doesn't have that custom and, and it it's hard to, to try something new when, when it goes against like the norms that you've been raised with and like everything that you know. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky to have grown up here. Uh, I think I, I appreciate this culture and like all the opportunities that it's given me. Um, and it's been nice, I think to, to be able to show, some of the women in my site that like, if there's, if there's things that they want to do, if they want to go for a run, if they want to um, talk to their boyfriend about wearing a condom, that like those things are possible, you know?
0: hmm And then for volunteers, female volunteers, current or incoming, do you have any recommendations for how to deal with that machismo, the catcalling, you say spitting on the ground, no, maybe not the best way to deal with it but you you've been through it do you have any tactics of how to diffuse the situation and maybe attempt to make it constructive if that's even possible at least not destructive
1: <laughs> uh i don't know that i'm the best role model in that regard <laughs> i get a little fiery so i think a lot of people would give you the advice to ignore it um i think it's like a lot of things with identity you know gender race it's like you can you can handle it for so long and then you know the thousandth and one time you snap, right? Um, so I think everybody has their own limit and you just have to mentally prepare, um, which, sorry, that's like not very positive <laughs> advice. I think the most positive conversations I had were when I was able to to be calm and explain things to people. And I think one of the best things that I, I was able to get across is like saying like, hey, like this is a lack of respect. Like, you know, is this what you would want someone to say to, you know, your mother or your daughter or your sister? Um, because most people have someone in their life, but I mean, also, I mean, you have to realize that like that, that's the culture. And like, for some people, you know, in Peru, for example, they don't get offended by cat calls, you know, mm-hmm. cause that's, that's normal for them. Um, and so you have to also remember that you're, you're going into a different culture and like, that's the culture there. And you have to realize that, and you can't expect people to, uh, adapt to your culture, right? If you're in another country, you have to adapt to the culture there, um, So I think it's a little bit of both a little bit of give and a little bit of take. And, you know, some days it's going to be really hard and some days it's not going to bother
0: you. Mm -hmm. And now being back in the United States, I know you were just there, but is there an overarching thing that you miss from your time as a Peace Corps volunteer in Peru?
1: Mm. You know, I definitely miss every day being an adventure. Um, You know, you never really know where the day was going to end up, I think, in Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. You know, you might start out being like, oh, I'm going to go visit my uh, little annex town to check on this or that or visit with that person. And then you might get invited to be the godmother of a footbridge or um, go Uh, to a random dance party. Um, So you just kind of never knew and and – it was really, that was really cool. And I think also just the the relationships and the people that I met, you know, um, I was really lucky to meet a lot of great people and a lot of people who are very generous and patient, um, you know, with their time and with their friendship and um, just really giving loving people.
0: Mm-hmm. And you talked about that you had some apprehension at the beginning of doing Peace Corps because you had seen international development that maybe wasn't the most sustainable Then you thought that Peace Corps could actually be. You liked the idea of it. You were a volunteer. You did a ton of projects. We heard the the laundry list. Now you just went back eight years later. How'd you do?
1: I think I did pretty well. (laughs) Um, and I can't take all the credit for that, you know, uh, I was very lucky to work with good community partners. I had a really supportive local government that gave me funding and support. Um, Not everyone has those things, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's not like I did it in a vacuum. It's not like I did it. It's like we did it. Um, You know, the sewage system, for example, that we built is still working. Um, People are using their toilets. Um, I think a big part of that is being in the place and knowing the people and getting to know the people and making sure that they are invested in the project um i think where a lot of ngos and aid work goes wrong is when you're giving things to people for free when you're not really there um when you're having other people do it when you're not having local people do it Mm -hmm. um for example i mean i've seen like bathrooms turned into chicken coops yep uh i've seen bathrooms where The hinges rusted because the town was on the sea and no one thought to use like galvanized metal. Um, So there's so many things that go into something that are beyond um, like, okay, this person doesn't have a bathroom. Like, let's build them a bathroom. It's Mm -hmm. not as simple as that. You really need to understand the place and the culture and how it functions um, and what is going to be. A solution that fits into people's lives and works for them, and not just you know what you think is going to be the best.
0: Mm-hmm. And you left Peace Corps and then ended up not going into international development, right? Yes. Uh, what have What have you been doing since Peace Corps?
1: Well, uh, after Peace Corps, uh, I I mentioned near the beginning that um, I was really interested in uh, Arabic and Muslim civilization in the Middle East. And so after Peace Corps, I worked at a think tank called the Middle East Institute in DC. Um, I got a part-time job as well as managing director of operations at a local startup. Um, And then after my internship ended, I realized I needed more than a part-time job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I started working at the embassy of Afghanistan here in DC directly with the Afghan ambassador to the United States uh, managing media relations, which was a really amazing experience. Um, from there, I worked at the United Nations Foundation, um, and now I work at Ogilvy, which is an advertising firm. Um, and after that, I have now started my own business um, where I work with uh, nonprofits and entrepreneurs doing business and marketing strategy consulting.
0: Mm-hmm. What exactly are you doing with your, your new job? You're a, in, the only employee you're, you're yeah. it. You're a so, company of one.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm basically freelancing. I have my own company called Duraca Strategic. And Duraca is Puerto Rican for tough cookie. It was my nickname growing up. Um, and what I do is I work with, you know, small businesses, small to medium sized businesses, entrepreneurs, nonprofits. Um, and I really try to customize uh, my approach depending on the needs of the organization. So... I'll try to understand your business goals and needs and what you're trying to achieve and any problems that you have and then work with you to find ways to get there. Um, So that could be anything from helping you figure out what logo and website you should have to who your audience is and how to reach them and what to say to them um, to helping you price your products or communicate with your employees or um, optimize your workflow. Mm -hmm. So it really depends based on the organization. Um, I have some clients. um, So for example, a couple of my clients, so Latinx Ed, which I mentioned earlier, um, that's a nonprofit organization in North Carolina and they used to be under the Center for Global Initiatives at UNC Chapel Hill. um, And now they've recently become their own nonprofit organization. Um, And the co-executive directors are on like the Forbes 30 under 30 list. It's a really amazing, Organization, uh, so I've helped work with them to help them identify, you know, who they are as an organization, what their brand is, what their position is, where they fit in in North Carolina and in the U.S. in terms of. Um, their specialty focus area, right, which is improving education for Latinos, um, helping support immigrants, helping support undocumented students, um, help them kind of not only figure out how to create a website and a new logo, but really help them understand who they are as an organization, what they're trying to do in the world, um, who they're going to reach and how they're going to do that. So really everything from branding and marketing strategy to messaging, Um, and even visual identity development and website
0: development. So quite a bit. (laughs) And we are talking right now in Washington, D.C., in my apartment, but you're about to take uh, the show on the road.
1: Yes, I'm going to become a digital nomad, um, which I have kind of been daydreaming about for a couple years, and I've decided now is the time to make it a reality. Um, So what that just means for people who aren't familiar with the term is it means that you have kind of a location independent business where you can work remotely or you don't need to be in one physical location and you kind of move around. Um, So I'm going to start, I'm going to go to a wedding in Hawaii, then I'm going to go to the West Coast and see some friends and family. um, And I'll actually be doing some workshops there with local Return Peace Corps volunteer groups on branding and marketing strategy. Um, And then from there, I'm going to Bali (laughs) and I'll be in Bali for a couple months. And then from there, I'm going to go meet up in Malaysia with my mom for Christmas. We're going to go to Anger Wat together in Cambodia. Um, And then from there, I'll probably go to Thailand and then Mm -hmm. work my way around Southeast Asia to start with. That's the plan.
0: (laughs) And what was the final deciding factor? Because I've also... Probably many people have dreamed of digital nomadism. Like, that sounds awesome. What was the final thing that said, okay, I'm going to do this, or at least I'm going to try to make this work?
1: I mean, committing to it, I think, is the hardest part. Um, I've really been daydreaming about it for a couple years now. And, um, you know, you just got to do it if you want to do it. I think the first step is just committing and making that decision and making a plan, you know, setting a date, you know, when am I going to quit my job? When am I going to move? When am I going to sell all my stuff? Um, and yeah, you just you just I guess like Nike says, you got to just do it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for anybody who maybe has their own side hustle thing? They've got the the nine to five, and then they have their yeah. five to nine, <laughs> and they'd like to make their five to nine their nine to five. If if that's not confusing enough to to people listening, uh, but. What advice?
1: Yeah, I think um, starting with a side hustle, I think is really good advice, you know, figuring out like, is this something that you could do and that you want to do? Um, And like I said, committing, making the decision, setting a date, making a plan. I'm a big list person. So making lists of all the steps you need to take, all the things you need to do. Um, A lot of the in, in my consulting business, I have to do a lot of project management. And so for me, that's, that's where I started, you know, looking at every aspect of my life and figuring out what steps I would need to take to make it a reality. So, you know, from my day job to my, my business to, um, you know, like life stuff, like there's a lot of things to consider when you're gonna become a digital nomad, not just like, what am I going to carry with me and what physical stuff am I going to have, but how am I going to protect myself in terms of insurance? Um, how am I going to, get rid of all my stuff for starters that I've accumulated since Peace Corps service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, can recommend a couple things that I've done for that, um, for, for selling my clothes I've used thread up and then, um, for selling my stuff I've used offer up. Um, but there's tons of apps and stuff out there. So just, you know, use whichever one is best for you. Um, letting your friends and family know when are you going to do that? Um, having a goodbye party just to kind of have like an official send off. Um, And see everybody before I leave because I don't know how long I'll be gone for. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit open-ended, which is both scary and exciting. Uh, But I figure if the business doesn't work out, I can just, you know, travel for a bit, spend my money, come back and get a job. And I think that, um, so for me, like mental preparation is a really big part of anything. Um, And I think knowing that worst case scenario for you um, is really important. And then, of course, there's the financial side of things, you know, before embarking on something like this. Um, and, again, being a digital nomad, you don't necessarily have to have your own business. You could be working remotely for a company, in which case you don't need to worry about this as much. But for me, you know, starting my own business, it's important to save up a lot of money so you have mm-hmm. some sort of cushion. Um, so that's a really big factor for it as well.
0: Good tips. I'm taking mental notes right now. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you want to touch on about your your Peace Corps service and how your Peace Corps service has maybe affected your career and your desire now to be a digital nomad, anything that's, it is literally an open mic for you to tell us anything else that we need to know.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful for my Peace Corps service. You know, I think it definitely is a big part of who I am and how I approach things. Um, I feel like Peace Corps really made me very resilient and independent not that I wasn't already, but I think it really helped reinforce those characteristics. Um, you know, you really have to learn to be flexible and adapt, and and be resilient and self reliant. Um, and so I really felt like after Peace Corps, you know, you could drop me anywhere in the world and I would be okay. Um, I don't know if that's totally true, but that's how I felt. Um, so I think you know it really helps. You know, you develop a lot of skills in terms of learning how to step into a new culture, into a new place, and be respectful and adapt and be open-minded and try new things. And, and that's how I approach things. Um, I love trying new things and, and getting to know new cultures and, and meeting new people. That's something I really love and enjoy. And that's a big part of why I want to be a digital nomad.
0: Okay. And if anybody is interested in following your digital nomad journey, learning more about your company, where can they find you?
1: Great question. Um, <laughs> the best place you probably can just follow me is on Instagram at T-period P R A D. At T-Period-P-R-A-D. Uh, that's my Instagram handle, T-Prod, because my name is Tasha Prados. Um, and the business is Duraca Strategic. Um, so that also has a website. Um, and Duraca is spelled D-U-R-A-C-A strategic i think you know how to spell that mm-hmm. um and so i'll be i'll be posting there and then also people of peace corps um i'd love for you guys to check that out um and feel free to share your stories that's just at people of peace corps on instagram
0: awesome thank you very much for spending some time with me to close out the show do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share oh
1: like from my site from your site oh good one okay a good one I'll, I'll leave you with is a CS. Uh, a lot of people say that in my site and that just means, you know, it is what it is. That's how it is. Uh, and I like that a lot.
0: Well, thank you. It is how it is. I wish you the best as you start your <laughs> digital nomad journey. Thank you for spending some time with me and letting us know a little bit more about you and your service.
1: Thank you so much, Tyler. This is awesome.
0: And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. Tasha, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Listeners, thank you for spending some time with me and Tasha as we explored her Peace Corps service and what she's up to now. If you would like to share your story on the My Peace Corps Story podcast reach out. Head on over to mypeacecoursestory.com, find one of those buttons that says share your service or share your story, click it, fill out the form, and I will be in touch. If you want to learn more about my Peace Corps story, you can find my book on Amazon at uh, amazon.com. It's called My Service Disrupted. So head on over there, pick that up. I just got distracted because my fiance just walked in the door as I'm recording this, but that's perfectly fine. I'm going to keep it rolling uh, because I like to do these in one take. Uh, But yes, if you want to find out more about my service, I've done a few episodes on it, and I wrote a book about it. So uh, check that out if you're interested. Once again, it is service disrupted available on amazon thank you very much for listening until next time remember every volunteer has a story what's yours